Well, hey there, my name's Chris Rivers. I wanna thank you for joining us today. And if this is your first time with us, welcome to the Culture Bus Tools podcast. I'm really glad that you're here. In each episode, I explore leadership strategies that increase your capacity and effectiveness with people. And during each show, I interview thought leaders, hear their leadership stories, and just discuss ways to become better problem solvers and people developers. Visit culturebus.cc to access additional tools focused on each episode so you can create forward movement with your team. All right, well, let's dive in today, okay? I have a special guest, Jim O'Reg. Jim, welcome to the Culture Bus Tools podcast. Thank you very much, Chris. Great to be on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, You and I, we met, I guess, years ago through Deerfoot, which is our connection. You're on the board at Deerfoot, which I did an episode of Chief Nick on episode 14, talking a little bit about what Deerfoot is and who they are. But that's how we first met, your son and my boys go to Deerfoot. So over the years, I've had a chance to get to know you, and I'd just love for you to share a little bit about who you are, where you're located, and what you do. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, so we've been, uh, my wife Becca and I have been in uh, Greenville, South Carolina since the mid-2000s, and we have been with American Leprosy Missions uh, that whole time. At American Leprosy Missions, uh, I serve as the Vice President of Integral Mission and Regional Programs, and that basically means that we seek to align all of our programs in the field with the Kingdom of Jesus Christ, ensuring that we demonstrate and announce the gospel and impact people's lives physically, spiritually, emotionally, and also in terms of their community. Mm. How did you get into this world? I mean, there's a lot to it. I know a little bit more about what you're doing over conversations, but what is, how did this come about? Well, this has been our field, uh, international public health sort of intertwined with uh, very non-traditional missionary work Mm -hmm. since the mid-1980s when I finished graduate school. So along the way, we've lived in six countries, including the United States, on three continents, Mm -hmm. and always worked with the marginalized uh, people that, I guess you could say, have been dealt a not-so-good hand in the card game of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, working to ensure that they have the opportunity to live life to the fullest. Yeah. Well, I know that you travel a bit, and uh, maybe could you share with us a recent place that you've been to and some of the work that you've done there? Uh, my most recent trip uh, was to the two Congos, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and then Immediately across the river from the capital, Kinshasa, is Brazzaville, capital of Republic of the Congo. My colleague, uh, our Africa director, George Katow, and I spent uh, about 10 days in the two countries working with ministry partners and walking through their challenges with governance, with vision, with delegation, and with the cultivation of capacity enabling them to develop plans that will uh, permit their organizations to progress, to move forward and do an even better job of reaching people that are affected by leprosy and other neglected tropical diseases in their general local environments. What is what is a day, you say 10 days, what does a typical day look like? You're solving problems, you know, conversations are happening. I mean, what is a what does a typical meeting look like with a group of leaders like that? 
I, I wouldn't say we, we solve many problems. We begin or continue journeys to finding, creating, uh, exploring solutions. So I think it's very much of a koinonia approach on how we work with people in the field. Rather than having a contractual arrangement where, you know, we hope you do good work at your hospital or your clinic or your whatever type of program it may be in the communities, it's walking alongside of organizations and helping them discover their own uh, strengths, better understand their own strengths, and to grapple with their own weaknesses and to develop plans that are culturally uh, appropriate for them to implement in their, their own locations. Hmm. Well, it, how, what, how does that look? I mean, do you guys have a framework for some of that, that you're, you know, you're, you're meeting with groups regularly? I mean, you're having these conversations. I mean, is there a series of, of questions or categories of things that you're looking for when you're working with groups like this? Well, of course, there's all kinds of things you look at, ranging from monitoring and evaluation and budgets and plans, and those are all very, very good things. They're important things. But the part I like the best is to put all the papers down, to leave the office, to bounce around in the land cruiser for two, three, four hours, to be out in the communities and have conversations about what's happening in people's lives, not only the people in the field that are affected by leprosy or other neglected tropical diseases, but the lives of the leaders, the lives of the doctors, the lives of the therapists, the lives of the community health workers themselves, to pour into them as people so that they are indeed able to pour into the people in the communities. Yeah. Can you think of a story that stands out to you as one that just showcases some of the, that that time in the in the car talking to people and just seeing the lives of, of people around you yeah uh just this past trip uh in the in the democratic republic of the congo uh i spent time with uh an old friend of mine who's congolese physician surgeon his name is uh his surname is imposo and uh though he could be uh, a fairly successful surgeon in France or Belgium or somewhere in Europe because of his language and educational skills, he chooses to stay in Congo. And it's always a struggle about, you know, how am I going to provide for my family? I live in this place that's far, far away from uh, the capital. Uh, there's not the opportunities for my, my family, for, for education, etc. How am I going to continue to do that. And he was able to share that by God's grace and through his network of people that pray and pour into him and partner with him, that uh, he's able to express his contentment for where he is and for what he does because he sees the change in people's lives that he operates on or helps each and every day. Love it. I will say that um, this kind of transition into, I, mean, I want to talk more about your battle with cancer and a couple of different things, but um, I'm sure that's probably incredible to see, just to hear a man that could be, you know, to do wherever, make a lot of money, and then he's in a place where he's not maybe doing that because he feels called to serve people. I'm sure that's probably pretty amazing to see. Absolutely, Yes. Well, speaking of, I mean, 
that I, I feel like you are someone over this last year, you battled with cancer. I'd love to hear you to talk a little bit about that. But one of the things that stood out to me in your battle of cancer is how intentional you were just with me. And I know I'm just one person of like a thousand of people that you probably know, but I feel like I regularly got updates through text messaging, you know, calls, um, you know, just, phrases, just you were so intentional. It's just a skill that you have. I want to, you know, thank you for that, um, bringing me into your journey. But if you could just talk a little bit about that journey through cancer and even where you are now with it. Okay. Uh, I'll start with the end. Uh, so far, I'm uh, cancer-free. I finished uh, six months of chemo uh, in the, uh, right before Thanksgiving of last year of 2019. So I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I had eight rounds of chemotherapy and uh, God is good. It wasn't fun. Every day was a good day. Some days were excruciatingly hard. But after I was diagnosed and I sort of got over the initial shock of, holy crap, I have cancer. (laughs) uh, It was, okay, God, you got me on this journey. There's a reason for everything. I don't like it, but I trust you. So what would you have me do? And it was very clear that the two things I needed to do were to honor him and to, to, to not be a victim or not complain, even though I felt like it sometimes, mm-hmm. but to uh, encourage other people along the way. Because when you have cancer, you can get away with a lot of stuff. You can say stuff to people that in normal circumstances you might not get away from, away with. Uh, so I took like it upon what? myself. What would, what would be an example of something? Uh, you know, close friends that are having problems in their marriage and the guy's being a total jerk and I can come out and just really rake him over the coals and he'll listen to me because, <laughs> because I don't have any hair or eyelashes or eyebrows and I'm, you know, I'm not allowed out to play because of my immune system shot and he'll listen to me. Whereas if it was two years ago and I saw him, you know, on main street, he would ignore me maybe. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're yeah. saying. Wow. Yeah. So you so this happened, this battle's happening and you're, you know, you're you're working through it. Yeah, so uh, you know, I was on chemotherapy. It was a cyclical sort of thing where, you know, I get the chemotherapy and then kind of crash a few days after and then have to build up my immune system and then come back. And uh, by the time I was starting to feel a little bit better, then, of course, they'd start chemo on me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I saw it as an opportunity to, to step into people's lives, to catalyze change in their lives, to, to ask really intentional questions. Uh, and I really developed my spiritual gift of harassment over that time, <laughs> where I could step into people's lives. And if, you know, one thing I did have was time, because I had to stay home a lot because I wasn't allowed out. Yeah. Uh, so I could, I could call, I could text and I was WhatsApping and texting and yeah. Skyping and what, you know, all kinds of stuff with all kinds of people in 36 different countries, stepping into their lives as much as they would let me. And, oh. and some people, you know, wouldn't talk to me for two weeks and then they'd come back and say, I, I want to talk more about that thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I would, so I did. So cool. And I continue to do that. Yep. Yeah, you're very good at that. I mean, what is, how, do, how does one become intentional like that? What does that look like? Well, I mean, everyone is wired differently, and some people have a propensity to do that. Some people are 
maybe better communicators or better at uh, uh, planning their day or their week out, knowing that they want to touch five people's lives. But yeah. I, I think at the same time, uh, you do have to v- develop a, a sense and a calling that this is really what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I found a book uh, by Michael Frost, uh, Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People, to be uh, really influential. In the, I read it over the time I had, I had cancer and I was on chemo. And one of the, the things he talks about is, um, is blessing people. And sometimes that's through words of affirmation or uh, being, being generous with, with them. But it, it means you have to step into their lives. You have to be intentional. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I tried to do that, even though a lot of time it wasn't possible in person. Yeah. Well, you do a really good job of that. And it inspired me. Every time I get a text from you, I would just, first of all, I'd be like, Rachel, listen to this. And then, of course, you know, I felt like I wanted to do the same. So it did spur something on in me to be uh, intentional with others. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate I'm glad you had cancer, man. <laughs> I, I am too. I'm a different person for it. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to repeat it, but yeah. it's what I was dealt. And, you know, uh, sometimes, like I use the analogy of the card game of life, I, I was dealt a not-so-good deck of car- hand of cards in uh, late May last year, uh, but I still have to play them with grace and honor God, and that's what I tried to do. Love it, man. Love it. Well, each week we ask our guests to share a leadership tip, and I was hoping that you could share a leadership tip with us that you think would be important for us as leaders to implement in our day-to-day and why. And uh, we talked a little bit offline about this, but would love for you to just share with us a tip. Okay, very good. People listening have probably picked up that I look at things through a cultural lens because of all my travel and work, and actually... My uh, educational background has a lot of uh, cultural, sociocultural anthropology woven into it, built into it. So I tend to look at leadership through a cross-cultural lens. And everyone that I come in contact with, uh, there's an, well, there's an opportunity to lead anybody, even yeah. if, uh, if I'm not put in a formal leadership position over them. But at the same time, we need, I need, we all need to understand that uh, just about everyone we encounter, even people we know well, uh, or have a slightly different cultural background and baggage. It could be because of their experiences or their age or their worldview, their learned behaviors, their understanding of things like emotional intelligence. So what I've tried to do, and this is not something I've coined, I learned it from uh, a Marxist professor in graduate school a long time ago. He said, listen to a thousand words before speaking. And that, he taught me that about uh, when, before doing field work, but it makes sense in the, in the leadership setting because people want to be sure that they're understood, that they're heard. And if we go in to solve a problem right away without listening and demonstrating that we understand what's happening with people, letting them tell their story, if they're not feeling like they're heard, then the chances are, even if we come up with something uh, incredible to help fix, solve, lead, whatever it might be that we're encountering together, I would say the propensity for success is less. So listen to a thousand words before speaking. 
what does this look like for you practically? I mean, is it that you're asking questions, listening? Are you taking notes? Are you, you know, are you, are you trying, are you counting <laughs> a thousand words? I mean, like, cause I mean, I know this is hard for me to listen because I almost sometimes want to be heard more than I want to learn. I mean, what does that look like for you when you're working, when you're at home, when, when you're with your kids to have this cross cultural lens all the time and it's on? I think some of the best questions we can ask start out with, tell me about dot, dot, dot. Tell me about how you were feeling when that happened. Tell me about what was going on around you when you made that decision. Tell me about the factors that contributed to the triumph or the success or the failure or the, the burnout. Uh, when you ask open-ended questions, people are invited into that space. But when you say, why did you, that's, that immediately points people to some sort of judgment. You know, is there going to be a good reason for why I did what I did? But tell me about really enables people to express what's happening inside them, their faith journey, uh, their education, their background, their baggage, the good, the bad, everything else. When you go to a new country or a new, uh, you know, people group and you're learning, is that, is there a, if you, if you just had one day, you have a couple hours with a couple leaders, what does this look like practically for you to have this cross-cultural lens? What would you be doing in a moment like that? If I was to watch you and I'm just like learning from you the whole time that I'm with you, I mean, what does that look like? Uh, one of the first, Tenants I always try to uh, try to employ is uh, really good eye contact. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, you know, sometimes there are, there's cultural baggage from both sides, so I tend to try to sit in a place that is actually lower than the people with whom I'm speaking. What does that look like? Can you give me an example? You're out by the river and there's a bunch of rocks and you're going to sit on the rocks and talk to, you know, pastors or community health workers or the Dr. Imposo that I mentioned, the surgeon from the hospital and some of his colleagues. I'll intentionally pick a rock that is lower than the rocks that they sit on. Uh, it's a wow. subtle thing, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm not the white savior. I, there is no white savior. Mm. Uh, so uh, I, I, really, I really work at those two things. Uh, the third, I believe, is to share a meal. Sharing a meal, just as Christ shared meals with, with disciples and other people, uh, levels the playing f uh, field, and it also helps you to uh, better understand the cultural setting because of the food you're eating, uh, where, where people are coming from. So uh, sharing a meal together is a great introduction to talking about leadership, to talking about planning, to talk about vision, to talk about taking stock, assessing the good and the bad. Mm, man, that's good. So eye contact, you said sit lower, I think just humble myself. And then you said share a meal. So you're trying to do all this in this one sitting, you know, you're, you're trying to work through these, um, you know, maybe not one, two, three, but this is, these are practical things that you're trying to do. When did you learn that you needed to do this? Like, how did you come about this? I had some very good teachers along the way. Uh, one of them uh, was a 
former boss of mine, uh, more of a mentor than a boss. He would he hated the word boss. He was a Brit, uh, and he would do that when he was talking to government officials, uh, ministers of health, all sorts of you know VIP ish kind of people that were from the health uh, department or Ministry of Health in a particular country. Uh, so he would he would do that, but he'd also do it uh, meeting people in prison and uh, speaking with prisoners, and he would choose a place that was lower, just slightly lower with them than they were, uh, and that that's where it came from. Man, these are really good principles. Um, so eye contact, sit lower, share a meal, uh, and then probably in the leadership context of learning how to do this, then mentoring someone else to do that. Um, man, that's really good. Is there anything else you'd want to share with us or any important principles that you feel like help you make this happen? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, what it, and it came out of uh, the cancer journey uh, that I finished a couple of months ago. And that is not to sabotage the promptings or nudgings of the Holy Spirit. And that's a two-way thing. Uh, one is that lots of people would want to try to do something for or with me or my wife. And by the way, my wife had cancer when I did too. Uh, she's, she's in excellent shape now, praise God. Uh, but people would want to do things for us. And we'd say, oh, don't worry about it. No big deal. We'll figure it out. You know, don't, don't knock yourself out. Don't do that. And I realized that they were responding to a nudging of the Holy Spirit. At least many times they were. And if I kept saying no... The next time they were nudged by the Holy Spirit to do something else in another context or setting, then they may just blow it off and say, well, it didn't work when, when Jim, when we're trying to do something for Jim, so I'm not going to do it now. So say, say yes when people want to do things to you because you're, you're, you're pushing them to perhaps avoid some sort of blessing just by serving. And then it works the other way too. When I was nudged by the Holy Spirit, uh, I would I would reach out to people that I hadn't maybe corresponded with in a couple of weeks or months or longer and stick my nose into their lives in a good way, uh, you know, use my gift of spiritual harassment and say the things that the Spirit led me to say or do with them. And uh, there were some profound things that happened because of that. So don't sabotage the Holy Spirit. Hmm. That's good. Good word. It means so much. I mean, when someone does reach out to me I mean, I had someone this past week text me and say, hey, let's get coffee. And I would never have expected him to invite me for that. And, um, and, it, and then we met. We, had, we actually had coffee this morning. And it was just so nice to just, like, you know, hear some of the things that were going on. There was no specific agenda. It wasn't like he wanted me to be a part of his multi-level marketing scheme. I mean, he just was like, he just wanted to get to know me. And I feel like that was really impactful to me. And I think just even that um, is something that I can do to, to increase my leadership and my effectiveness with people. And then this, this mentor concept, learning how to, to put these three pieces into the relationships that I have um, with others, I think is real, is real practical and, and is not difficult to do. So listen to a thousand words before speaking. I need to listen more. That's what I need to do too. So lots of things that I've gotten from this. So this was real helpful. Great. It's been uh, fabulous to be on with you, Chris. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really grateful for you, Jim. I appreciate you and the work you're doing and 
just your relationship with the Lord and what you mean to my family. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, as we close out today's episode, I want to share a couple of thoughts that have been forming in my heart and my mind. Currently, we're dealing with the COVID epidemic, and just last week, our country has turned its attention on to the Black Lives Matter movement. So as I see it, the principles that Jim shared are so timely, no matter what your background is, your skin color might be, or whether you're fearful or just plain anxious for what tomorrow brings. Here's the deal. There has never been a more critical time, especially if you call yourself a Christ follower, to care for those around you. More than ever, I believe God is calling us to work for unity and do that by demonstrating humility. The Apostle Paul mentioned in Philippians 2 to agree wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And in Matthew 20, Jesus said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. When I read those two passages, I can't help but think the Lord is wanting me to work hard for unity with others through humility and empathy. As I've been wrestling through these ideas, I thought of my interview with Jim. See, I had originally recorded this episode with him about four months ago. Because of COVID-19 and a handful of other promptings, I decided to hold off on posting. Then, two weeks ago, after dealing with all the circumstances that the world has been dishing out, I thought I should revisit our recording, just to relearn what Jim shared with me and see what I could glean from what he shared. And now, I just think this is the perfect time to share it because his leadership tip really is so timely. So in preparation for launching this episode, I reached back out to Jim just to catch up and see how things have been going because I heard some news. Through texts and a phone call, I learned his lymphoma cancer was back. He's doing chemo again. There's a stem cell transplant on the horizon and possible immunotherapy. We talked about how things have been going, and once again, he was as positive as ever. Jim is resilient in his approach to see his circumstances as a way to practice empathy and humility and honor the Lord by encouraging those in his life. I love how he views cancer as this vehicle to connect with people, which reminds me of how I can deal with the challenges in my own life. How can I practically respond to those around me, no matter their background, whether they are black, white, fearful, lonely, or whatever differences may appear? As I listened for a second time, he reminded me again to make eye contact with others, find a way to sit lower, share a meal, don't sabotage the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and be a mentor. For me, these are simple and practical ways I can demonstrate humility and empathy. That's what he said in the first episode recording. Same ideas, different circumstances, different day. Like I said, his principles are timeless and encouraging. Jim helped me see that it's not the knowledge of my faith that I should focus on, but the power of my faith demonstrated. That's what will bring about unity and change. In Acts 4, after Paul and John were thrown in jail for the miraculous sign of healing a beggar, the scriptures state that the council who had put them in prison and questioned them for healing a beggar said that they realized they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, and they also recognized they had been with Jesus. I think that's the key to spiritual, biblical, Christ-centered movement. That's how you influence the people around you to think and act differently. I've had to ask myself if that's what people see in me. Do people see that in you? If not, then I would encourage you to join me in demonstrating this leadership principle. Imagine the change that could follow. 
Okay, well, that's all I got for today's episode. Thanks for joining me. You know, with each episode, I like to challenge myself to make a resource that will help me, you, your small group, or even your staff create forward movement around the ideas that are shared. I'm excited about providing you the empathetic listening tool that I made with Jim. This resource will help you begin a conversation with others around the principles Jim shared and then help you jumpstart implementation. You can access this resource by emailing me at hello at culturebus.cc or check out the show notes for more information. Also, if you're new to the Culture Bus Tools podcast, consider signing up to receive these tools in your inbox with each new episode. When you sign up, you'll gain access to the Culture Bus Tools archive, which currently has over 24 leadership tools to help you and your team increase their capacity and effectiveness with people. You can head on over to culturebus.cc forward slash podcast to sign up. And one more thing, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, I would love your help in getting the word out. You can do that by subscribing to your favorite podcasting platform, giving us a review and telling others about the show. All right, I'll see you next time on the Culture Bus Tools podcast.